I'm going to do a quick survey with you this morning because I just want to find this out. Okay, first of all, how many of you start listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving? You're just eager to listen to it. So, okay, a few of you. Okay, how many of you wait till on Thanksgiving or right around Thanksgiving before you start to listen to Christmas music? Okay, how many of you uh, wait until... Christmas week, I mean, just a few days before Christmas, before you start listening to Christmas music. Okay, some of you. Okay, well, uh, it's kind of a mixed bunch in here, but for me, I start listening after Thanksgiving, and I have to ease myself into it. It's like getting in a hot tub. You know, you got to kind of ease yourself in. And it's not that I don't like Christmas music. I love Christmas music. It's just that sometimes I get oversaturated with it, and I really try to avoid those radio stations who play nothing but Christmas music from Thanksgiving all the way through Christmas Day. I mean, I avoid those like the plague because it just gets, for me, it just gets to be a little bit much. And so I'm always kind of easing myself into it. Well, I'm starting to ease myself into it now, and I enjoy what I hear on Sunday mornings, and I'll listen a little bit in the office. Uh, But I heard a song the other day that, to be honest, I hadn't heard yet this year. And it made me stop because I, I did something that sometimes we don't do. I stopped to listen to the words that were actually sung. And the the song was, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Y'all know that song? I'm not going to sing it for you, but I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Now, when I listened to the words, it made me curious. And, you know, when you're curious, you do what curious people do. You go to Google. And you you put it in and go, okay, what's this song about? And I found some stuff I wanted to share with you this morning. This song was written in 1863. It wasn't written as a song. It was written as a poem. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote it. He wrote it on Christmas Day, 1863. Now, if any of you know your American history, you know what was going on in 1863. And it just so happened that his son, just a few months before, without his permission, had gone and joined the Union Army to fight in the Civil War. 1863 was one of the bloodiest years in American history. 1863 was Gettysburg, Vicksburg, Chickamauga. It was a bloody, bloody year. And now, when and I'm going to read some words to you here in just a minute because I want you to hear. But when we hear these words in this poem that became a song, then we get a little better idea of why the distress comes out. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is a song, and we actually sing this verse when we sing this song. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth goodwill to men and you look at that and go my that's kind of depressing for a christmas song i mean a song about bells ringing and peace on earth and this they throw this verse in as a matter of fact if you and and it'd be interesting for you to do this if you go back and kind of look it up and see the words that were originally written there are a couple more verses in here that are even more distressing than this but you can you can understand in the midst of this bloody war And a man's son goes off to join up. And here you are on Christmas Day with your son off in a bloody, bloody war, really not knowing whether he's alive or dead. 
these words began to take on a little more meaning, a little more power. But the neat thing about it is, at the very end of it, when you get to the end of the song, when you get to the end of the poem, here are the words. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now, when we stop and we take a look at the world around us, we, we can find some good things to celebrate, but, man, there's a lot of bad stuff in this world, isn't there? Sometimes there's so much of it you just want to shut the news off and almost pretend that it doesn't exist. There are things that are taking place in our own country as we see police officers being shot, as we see injustices being done, as we look around the world and we see the turmoil and, and, and the, the terrorism and all these things that are taking place in this world in which we live. Well, maybe we could sit down and kind of write some words that almost went along with, with, his, with Longbell's words. There is no peace. It, it mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But... You and I know something, don't we? We know something beyond what we see on the news. We know something beyond what we hear when we turn on the radio. We know something beyond all that. What do we know? As followers of Jesus Christ, what do we know? We know something that was foretold by prophets. We know something that is anchored in history. We know something about shepherds and angels and a baby born in Bethlehem. We know something about a cross and a Savior and His shed blood for those who believe. We know something about a resurrection and a promise to give life to all who trust in Jesus. We know something about a hope, a hope that Jesus said, I will come again. Take you to be where I am. Listen, this Christmas, this Christmas season, we celebrate something we know, something that we have anchored our lives in. We celebrate something that is enduring and lasting. And no matter what's happening out there in the world and no matter what bad news comes on our televisions and no, no matter what bad news comes into our lives, we still have a hope, a hope that we celebrate this Christmas season and every season, a hope that is eternal. You know, the prophet Isaiah wrote a long time ago, in a world where there was little peace, he wrote about the one who would come. And this is a little bit of what he said. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Look at this, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. And then when the angels appeared to the shepherds out in their fields outside Bethlehem, they came with these words, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those 
on whom his favor rests. Now, the, the neat thing about peace in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, the word peace is shalom. Some of you know that. But it doesn't simply mean an absence of conflict. That's what we think about when we think about peace. You know, a ceasefire is taking place, or maybe you may, none of it happens in none of your homes, I know, but you know, you've had an argument, husband and wife kind of, kind of been at each other, and you call this ceasefire, and you, you, you calm things down a little bit, and there's, there's peace. Because you're not arguing right now. Well, the word shalom means more than that. It means complete peace. It means, let me share with you a couple of the meanings of this. It means contentment. It means wholeness. It means completeness. And it means well-being. It's not simply the absence of conflict. It's when everything is as it should be. Everything is right and I am completely in God content that's what that word means it's a a bigger word than our word peace it's a more comprehensive word than our word peace it is a kind of peace so that we can be at calm even when the world around us is falling apart But it comes with a promise. And that promise is that we can be at peace in God now because God has promised to put all things at peace in His time. And ultimately, that's what Jesus came to do. The words in Ephesians chapter 2, incredible, incredible words. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read some of these for you, beginning with verse 13. And going through verse 18. Ephesians chapter 2 beginning with verse 13. Here's what we read. But now in Christ Jesus you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility... He's talking here, if you back up a little bit, he's talking about the, the, the stress, the tension, the division between Jews and Gentiles that existed for generations. So that, that, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week, but there was just literally hatred between Jews and Gentiles. And you wouldn't want to get in their presence. You didn't want to do business with them. You certainly didn't want to sit down and have a conversation or have dinner with them. You, you tried to stay as far away from them as you possibly could. They did not like each other. And, and here Paul says, listen... The two have become one. The dividing wall of hostility is gone. And he's done this by setting aside in his flesh the law of its commandments and regulations. His purpose, this is why, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached to you who were far away Peace, peace, peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. He himself is our peace. So many people out in this world who are looking to find a little bit of peace. To find a little bit of contentment. To find a sense of well-being. 
And I got to tell you, they look in a lot of places. They try a lot of things. But this tells us what we need to hear. He himself is our peace. And apart from him, listen, apart from him, there is no real peace. Apart from him are only momentary ceasefires in this world in which we live. But if you want peace, you'll find it in him. When I left high school, I'd I'd been in a church all my life. I'd I'd been part of youth groups and and youth choirs, and I'd I'd been baptized, and I'd experienced all the things that every parent would want their child to experience. I'd been there. I mean, week after week after week, I was there. I was, a, I was a junior deacon in our church. Junior deacons helped with the, with the, uh, with the offering. And we passed our offering plates. And I helped with communion. We passed the communion plates. You know, so so I, I was involved. And I was a good kid. I, I didn't get in a lot of trouble. I, I didn't do drugs. Uh, as a matter of fact, my dad was chief of police. So was, people were scared to, ask, you know, to invite, invite me to use drugs. But I, yeah, but I was a good kid. But when I left that environment, I went off to college and I, I got off on my own and I, I could do things the way I wanted to do them. Then what I left behind was not only my family, I left behind my church. I also kind of left behind my God. And I got there and I had real, really no sense of direction, no sense of purpose, no sense of meaning. And so I began to try to discover things that would fill that void in my life, that would fill that emptiness, that would give me that sense of meaning and purpose that I didn't have. And it almost cost me getting back in college. I mean, I, I, was, I was barely able to get back in. As a matter of fact, I was determined I was going to drop out do something else with my life. I'd I'd given up. I was trying to find an easier route, something else that I could do that might make me some money, and maybe then I could get a little peace. There wasn't any peace in that. Here's where I discovered peace. On a first-floor apartment in Carborough, North Carolina, with orange shag carpet and a green sofa, I was styling. And I got alone. No roommates, nobody around, no stereo, no TV on. It was quiet. That's unusual for a college apartment, but it was quiet. And it was there, if you've ever seen the pictures of disaster movies where the dam breaks and the water just starts gushing down the valley. That's, that was my experience. As God dynamited that dam and all those things that I had heard and learned and all that had been invested in me growing up and all those truths about who Jesus was and what Jesus did came tumbling down that valley and I was caught up in it. And I just stopped and said, it's true. It's all true. And I knelt down there on that orange carpet with my elbows and my face buried in that green sofa. And I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And I can tell you, it hadn't been perfect. But I've had peace. 
I've had a sense of direction and purpose and meaning in life that I'd never found before. And God even used my mistakes and made something good out of them. Some of you are looking for that peace this morning. I want to promise you, you will never find that peace apart from the Prince of Peace, Jesus himself. He himself is our peace. And this is what we read in Ephesians 2 that he did. Through the blood of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, you and I can have a right relationship with God. And, listen, we can have a right relationship with each other. These are the two things that we are told. That that Jesus came to reconcile us, to put us back together with God. Our, Our relationship with God was busted and broken beyond repair. I got a great example. I went in this morning and uh, somehow, um, I don't know if we had tremors or something going on in here, but I had a picture that had fallen off the top shelf in my office. And, it, and I found it was laying face down on the carpet in there. And so I carefully picked it up. And, of course, what happened is the glass absolutely and completely shattered. I mean, it was all over the place. And so I looked at it, and there was only one thing to do with that glass, and that was to pick it up and to throw it away. It was no more good. There was nothing I could do. Even if I had a a tube of crazy glue and some duct tape, there was nothing I could do to put that glass back together again. It was absolutely shattered and only worthy to be discarded, and that was our lives without Christ. Shattered, broken beyond repair. There's nothing we can do ourselves to put it back together. The classic story of Humpty Dumpty falling off the wall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put him together again. But through Christ, I have been made new. Through Christ, you have or you can be made new. Whole. Better than before. Because there'll be peace and contentment and well-being on the inside. And Jesus came to do that. Jesus also came to reconcile us with one another. To take us, all kinds of different people from all different walks of life, with all different experiences. People who might not normally get together, who might not normally hang around one another, who might not normally be in a small group together. He did this and he brought us all together and he reconciled us. He took these broken pieces and he began to put us together to form one body, the church Christ Jesus' body himself. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Listen, if you were getting ready to die, if you knew you were getting ready to die, the most painful death imaginable, and you're going to have to bear the sins of the world, what would you be praying? What Jesus prayed was, Father, may they be one. Those people who are going to believe in me in years to come, may they be one, just like you and I are one. And when he got his disciples together, this is what he told them. By this, all people, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. I got to tell you, folks, if there's no peace in the body of Christ, then that outside world's going to look at us and go, why do I want to be a part of that? It's no better than out here. Jesus came not only to reconcile us to God. It's not about just getting my name stamped, getting my passport stamped so I can get into heaven. He came to reconcile us to one another. 
So that in spite of our differences, in spite of our challenges, despite of our past, in spite of our, our personalities and our, our preferences, in spite of all that, you and I can be one and love each other anyway. And it becomes a huge testimony to the world around us. See how they love one another. And here's what I don't want you to miss. First of all, he reconciled us to God. Secondly, he reconciled us to one another, but then he entrusted to us a mission of making peace. Jesus gave us, gave it a, taste, gave us a taste of it. And what we hear is a Sermon on the Mount of Beatitudes when he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. In other words, what, what God does as Father, bringing peace through His Son, Jesus, He is now entrusted to you and to you and to you and to you and to me. He's entrusted this peacemaking mission to us. We are the peacemakers. We who have been reconciled to God have been called now to invite others into that peace, to call others into into that peace. We know peace with God. I hope you know peace with God. But it's not simply something to be enjoyed. Something to be shared. That's why over the course of December and hopefully beyond, we as a church are trying to get beyond the walls and to carry this peace that we sing about in here, to carry this peace out there. To really get into people's lives where love, the kind of love we've been given and the kind of love that God's placed within us, where we begin to do that kind of love outside. And, and I'll remind you, if you, didn't, if you didn't pick it up last week, there's some things back here. We left the extras on the table. If you did not get this, this book is for you. This is our gift for you. Uh, it is called Love Does. It's written by a guy named Bob Goff. Many of you have gotten it. Some of you have told me, I'm not a reader, but I'm almost, I'm almost finished with it. It's not a difficult book. It's not a theology book. It's a book of stories. And it is kindling for us. It gives us a kind of a spark to help us realize, you know what? I don't have to say no to every opportunity. I need to be open to saying yes to some things. I need to be looking for ways that I can express the love of God in, in the hopes of building a bridge into someone's life so that they might hear the good news of the gospel. And so this book's back there. We've got a few copies left that you can pick up. We also have these little wristbands that we created that say, on one side, people matters. On the other side, Jesus saves. People do matter. And they should matter enough that we want to give to them the greatest gift possible. And that is salvation through God's Son, Jesus Christ. And then the last thing that's on the table, uh, you took about half of these last week, so I'm excited about it. I hope the rest of them get gone in the next few weeks. These are the little cards that you can, when you find an opportunity, find a way that you can express love to someone. The little card that you can attach that just says, hey, a little Christmas love. And then you can write a little note on the inside. It's a way to point people to Christ, give them a, to help them understand exactly why you're doing what you're doing. 
And so if you didn't pick those up, feel free to pick those up on your way out today. But the greatest thing that you can do this morning, the greatest thing you can do is to receive the peace of God in Jesus Christ if you've never done it. That invitation's open to you. That opportunity's open to you. To all who would receive him, to those who would believe and trust in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That could be your story today. This could be your peace today. For some of you, you've never taken the opportunity. You've always kept that peace bottled up and packaged up and and tucked it inside and you never even thought about, maybe I should share this with someone else. Maybe today God's speaking to you and saying, okay, here's here's the person. Here's the one. I want you to invite them to experience the peace that you have. Tell them your story. For some of you, you may need a church home, a place to belong. And if that's what God's called you to, if He wants you here, then I want to invite you to come. This is an opportunity. This is a moment, a time of decision. If God's calling you to make a decision, don't let the day pass without doing it. Would you join your hearts with me in prayer? Father, we thank you so much for for your word and its power and its truth. And, And Lord, I ask that if there are those here today who, who need to know your Son as Savior, if there are those here today who need the peace that only you can give, if there are those here today who need a church family, a place to belong, if there are those here, Lord, who just need to come and to acknowledge before you that they've kept their mouths closed, this ministry of reconciliation you've given them, they've not done that. It hadn't been on their radar scope. But today they want to make a change they want to begin again they need your strength they need they need your encouragement to be willing to open their mouths and share with someone else the reason for the hope that they have within them so lord whatever it is that you call us to do we simply want to say yes to you so that we can begin to say yes to your calling in our lives for this is our prayer in jesus name